Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. For the exalted God, shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Listen, the Lord is calling to the city and to fear your name is wisdom. Heed the rod and the one who appointed it. Am I still to forget, O wicked house, your ill-gotten treasures and the short ephah of which is accursed? Shall I acquit a man with dishonest scales, with a bag of false weights? Her rich men are violent, her people are liars and their tongues speak deceitfully. Therefore, I have begun to destroy you, to ruin you because of your sins. You will eat, but not be satisfied. Your stomach will be, will be empty. You will store up, but save nothing, because what you save, I will give to the sword. You will plant, but not harvest. You will press olives, but not use the oil on yourselves. You will crush grapes, but not drink the wine. You have observed the statues of Omri and the practices of Ahab's house, and you have followed their traditions. Therefore, I will give you over to ruin and your people to derision, and you will bear the scorn of the nations. The second reading is coming from Romans, also chapter 6. And this is on 1754. So Romans 6, 8 through 18. Romans 6, 8 through 18. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives for God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as an instruments of wickedness, but rather gather yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him in instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to somebody to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obey the form of teaching to which you are entrusted. You have been set free from sin, and you've become slaves to righteousness. Well, thanks again, uh, Simon, for uh, welcoming uh, and thanks, uh, church, for being so welcoming. It's always, uh, I mean, I've been here for a couple of days and uh, connected with uh, Simon and a few others, and you know, it's just sense of, I mean, I hardly know Simon and hardly know the family, Adele and the kids. It's just, it just feels like family, you know, and I think that's the great thing about the church, isn't it? That um, God's got his people everywhere, and it's, uh, it's fantastic. So as, uh, as Simon has already pointed out, I'm, I'm Director of Church Partnerships with uh, International Justice Mission. So uh, by way of introduction, let me tell you a little bit about International Justice Mission, or as we call it, IJM. IJM is a community of uh, lawyers, investigators, social workers, and activists. And our goal is to end 
modern slavery and to end violence against those who are poor. And you might say at the outset, I thought thought we were done with slavery. Um, I thought slavery was a thing of the past. I thought, you know, um, whatever happened a couple of hundred years ago uh, with the end of slavery, I thought that was it then. But um, the, the challenging statistic is that there are still the previous clip mentioned 40 million. The more recent estimate is 50 million now. This is post-pandemic. Uh, things have become uh, a lot more uh, intense and people have become more vulnerable. 50 million people in slavery around the world today. And these people are trafficked across borders. They're forced into hard labor. They're locked in call centers. They're imprisoned uh, on fishing boats. They're trafficked for sex. They're not free to leave. Uh, And if they don't comply, if they don't do what they're told, they're beaten or they're violated and sometimes they are killed. It is violence that drives this. And it's intense. Last month, uh, I toured three states of Australia with one of our finest prosecutors, a person by the name of uh, Lucille de Quito from the Philippines. Now, Lucille has dedicated her career with IJM to prosecuting a very specific form of slavery that I want to talk about today. And that is the online sexual exploitation of children. And I don't need to go into the details of that. You can probably work out that it's pretty intense and terribly uh, abhorrent. And why do I want to talk about that today? Why is that such a need for me to talk about as opposed to other forms of slavery? Well, part of the answer is that Australians are driving the demand for this. We are one of the highest demand countries for this kind of abhorrent evil. Um, And to give you an idea of the scale, it's likely that at any one time, there's probably more than 100,000 Australians plying the web for this sort of stuff. The numbers are astronomical, astronomical. And they're looking to abuse and to violate children, children like Ruby. Ruby uh, was the youngest of 10 siblings. Both her parents had died quite tragically. Uh, And so Ruby was looking for opportunities and she thought that all of her uh, dreams had come true when she was offered a job in a computer shop in another province. And it came with free board, it came with uh, free lodging and it came with a free airfare. But when Ruby arrived, she realized it was a terrible trick. And she was shocked to find that there were half naked girls walking around. She was horrified to learn that she would be made to do unspeakable things in front of a webcam for Western predators. The QR code on the screen uh, will take you to a podcast. It's called Finding Ruby. Uh, And it's I mean, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to some. This is amazing stuff. It's easy for me to say because I'm connected with the work. Um, But the podcast is done in such a way that it it actually takes you into what's happening. Um, So if you'd like to hear more about Ruby's story, you can 
you can pick up that podcast uh, at any time. And without going into the detail, uh, look, it's just utter darkness. It's, it's terrible, terrible, abhorrent stuff perpetrated on minors. And Ruby, 15 years old, she obviously just wanted to get away. She, she wanted to escape, but she's actually imprisoned in this, in this house, in this suburban house in, um, in this Philippine city. Uh, all the doors are locked, all the windows are locked, and the gates at the front of the property, the steel gates, are also chained and padlocked. And one night she just became so desperate, she's just screaming for help. She could hear some police sirens in the distance. She didn't know what was going on, but she's calling out for help. And the only thing that stopped her was the knife that was held to her throat. This is what happens to people in slavery. Now, as followers of Jesus, the question for us is, why is that a concern for us specifically? Uh, How far away from the Philippines is Adelaide? I don't know. It's a long It's a long way. Is this something you should worry about? Is it something that I should worry about? And I think part of the answer to that is because Australians are one of the highest demand countries for this abuse. Our nation's got to deal with it, right? Um, We have to be aware of it. We have to know what the situation is because in some way it's in our communities, it's in our cities. Um, it's, It's... impacting on our nation one way or the other. We should be concerned about that uh, as followers of Jesus. But the other reason we should be concerned about it is because we need to ask the question, well, what does God think about this situation? What would God say uh, to a nation where hundreds of thousands of people are seeking to abuse children in such terribly abhorrent ways? And I think when you read the scriptures, you will understand that God hates it when this stuff happens. And we can't go right through that this morning, right through the scriptures uh, and pull out every passage. We wouldn't have time for that, uh, to pull out all the passages where God calls his people to be people of justice and righteousness. And even though the situation is different and the, 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 the casework is different, um, my mind goes to passages like Isaiah 59 where the people of, of Israel, or the people of Judah at the time uh, were allowing injustice to just thrive and flourish in their own cities and in their own midst. And God through the prophet Isaiah says to his people, Truth is nowhere to be found. Isaiah 59, 15. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one and he was appalled. This may be the only place in the scriptures that we read that God was appalled. He was appalled. Why? Because there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. God was appalled because his people simply ignored the injustices around them. And I'm not saying that's what we're doing, but we need to understand what God thinks and feels 
about the prevalence of injustice in our world. He was outraged that people who could act, that could do something for whatever reason decided not to act, not to respond, to ignore, to turn aside. And so with that in mind, think about those familiar words of Micah chapter 6. Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah, same basic time frame. Uh, Micah spoke to the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And this is about 700 or so BC. And he boldly challenged his people, as all the prophets do, boldly challenged the people about their idolatry and about their unfaithfulness. And that much you may already know. But what we don't often realise is that this idolatry and unfaithfulness is never done in abstract. It's never just an idea, it always impacts on, on life. And so idolatry and unfaithfulness is often a context for injustice in the scriptures. Those two things go hand in hand. In fact, God speaks more about injustice than he does about idolatry. That's a bit of a surprise to us perhaps. And so this context of uh, accepting the terrible injustice of others is kind of the weird context of some well-known words in Micah. And we read them when we started, but I'm just going to go back to them again, just so that we understand what the context of this passage in Micah 6 verse 8 is. Micah 6 Verse 10 to 12, where God says to his people, am I to forget your ill-gotten treasures, you wicked house? These are the people of God, right? And I mean, this is pretty confronting language, isn't it, when you think about it? Am I to forget the short ether, which is accursed? Shall I acquit someone with dishonest scales, with a bag of false weights? Your rich people are violent. Your inhabitants are liars and their tongues speak deceitfully. If you want to turn back a few pages, go to chapter 3, verse 9, where we read possibly stronger words. God's speaking to the rulers here. The rulers were to give, were to, were to lead with justice. They were to rule in righteousness. They were to embody the character of God to the people of God. And yet, listen to what these rulers are doing. Verse 9, hear this. You leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort what is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe and her priests teach for a price and her prophets tell fortunes for money, yet they look for the Lord's support and say, isn't the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. These words are written to the people of God. We could say they're written to the Old Testament church. They're written to communities of people who say, we follow Yahweh. We follow the Lord. We are the people of God. We're the chosen people. And yet there are grave injustices taking place. And those that could act aren't acting. And there's violence and there's fraud and there's falsehood and there's murder. The poor and defense, defenseless are violated. That's the culture. That's the context of the book of Micah. 
That's the context of these beautiful words. To do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. That's what's actually going on. And you might ask, well, if that's the context, if that's what's happening in life, why is there even a question of, you know, what sort of worship should we bring to the Lord? Why are they even asking that question? With what shall I come before the Lord? With what shall I bow down before the exalted God? Why does that even matter if there's so much injustice? Why do they care about that? I don't know if it's happened to you, but sometimes I notice this in myself, that when something in my life isn't the way it should be, I can easily trade that off against the things that I know are right. Okay, it's really good. It's easy to do that as a pastor because you've always got something good that you can go back to. I preach the word every week, you know. But we, we do that all the time, I think, as, as Christians. I know, I know this isn't right, but at least I go to worship on Sunday. Or I know this is wrong, but I'm still reading my Bible. I know this isn't good, but at least I'm getting my quiet times in, or at least I'm still going to my DG. At least... I keep my pledge or my giving up to date. You know, we trade these things off sometimes, don't we? I think even churches can do this sometimes. Uh, sometimes as churches, we're saying, well, what sort of church do we need to be in order for God to bless us? I mean, that's, that's a big question, isn't it? It's an important question. What do we need to bring that will capture God's attention. So in a sense, in the scriptures, God is asking us all, in this passage, in this book, in Micah's words, he's asking us all to look at our lives, to look in the mirror, and to ask, do I sometimes use my holy habits to prop up behavior that isn't good, that isn't right? Are my actions positively, are they in sync with who Jesus is? Does my character line up with the character of Christ? Does my behaviour look something like the behaviour of Jesus? That's, that's the big question of Christian life, isn't it? That's what these people were asking and they were asking because of all the wrong reasons. They were talking about bringing amazing worship while they were tolerating appalling injustice. And God's reply was unmistakable, wasn't it? He's shown you, that little phrase, he's shown you is basically saying, you know what I want. You already know the answer. Why are you asking me what kind of worship I want? Why are you asking what kind of prayers I will listen to? Why are you even asking the question? You already know this. He's shown you, O oh mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Now, here's the thing with this verse. When God is at work in people, when God is at work in these people, he wants them to be like him. If you remember nothing else this morning, remember this line. When God is at work in you, he wants you to be like him. 
When Jesus lives in your heart, he wants you to be like him. When God pours his grace into your life, sure, that's about forgiveness, it's about life, it's about drawing you into the glorious family of Jesus, but ultimately God wants you to be like him. And again, we don't have time to go through all the passages, but I mean, just think of that one passage where Paul starts talking about um, what it means to be followers of Jesus to the Philippian church. Again, these will be very familiar verses. Philippians 2, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as, what, where does it go? Have the same mindset as Jesus, Christ Jesus. That is God's at work in you. He's doing this work by grace. So become like him. Paul uses similar words in Ephesians 5. Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children. In Ephesians 4, Paul says it in a different way. We're being created in Christ, recreated in Christ, um, so that we might become the righteousness of God. When Jesus is alive in people, in your church, you will become like him. And if we think of the character of Jesus, if we think of the ministry of Jesus, as he strode into the synagogue in Nazareth, he said, if you want to know who I am, if you want to know what it's like to be me, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Luke chapter 4. When God is at work in you, when God is at work in the church, he wants you to become like him. He wants your church to embody the character of God in your community. He wants you to reflect the glorious goodness of God to all around. You are salt, you are light, you are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. God wants you to be seen. God says, be holy because I am holy. Be like me. Be my people. Be holy. Be separate. Be my distinct body. Be my character. Reveal my kingdom. Be like me in your world. Now, if we take that in just isolation, if I was to stop there, I don't know how you would feel, but I feel a burden as someone says to me, be like Jesus, be like God. And I think the initial question is, well, how can I even do that? How can you do that as a church? How can you embody the character of God in your world? Where are you going to get the strength or the ingenuity or the passion or the determination to do that? And to answer that question, I want to remind you that 
Micah spoke during the reign of a king called Hezekiah. And Hezekiah felt the burden of Micah's words. And we read in other parts of the scriptures that Hezekiah led the nation into repentance. And he got rid of a lot of the things that were that the people were doing wrong. He led a fantastic example. He removed the high places. He destroyed the Canaanite shrines. He purified the temple. He brought people back to what they should be doing. And that is to reflect the character of God into their own nation and into the nations around them. But um, Micah also looks beyond Hezekiah and he takes us to a greater king. He takes us to the Messiah who would be coming. And I think uh, today's the first Sunday of Advent, so it's kind of appropriate that we, that we go to verses in the last part of Micah's prophecy. Which are, uh, sometimes iPads do this. They just kind of end up with a blank screen. Micah chapter seven. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Who is this person? Well, it's the person who brings God's grace. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Mike is saying this, Hezekiah, that's great, you're going to do, lead us into repentance, but there's one who's coming who's not just going to change a bit of behaviour on the outside, he's going to change us on the inside. And God's going to pour his grace and his goodness and his transformation into us through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. If we're asking the question of how we can be people of justice, how we can shine our light into the community, how we can be salt of the earth, Jesus is the answer friends. He's the answer to our inability. And I know that with uh, IJM every day we're faced with the abhorrent reality of what's happening in the world. But we have hope in Jesus. We have hope in the one who's doing his work through his people to bring change and transformation. Jesus, our Redeemer, is transforming us into people of justice and righteousness. He's poured that justice and righteousness into our heart and now he wants it to be seen in our lives and in our behaviour and in our character. As we read before, Romans 6, you've been set free from sin and you've become slaves to righteousness. It's too much to tell, but the righteousness in that particular verse can also be translated justice and slaves can be translated as servants or ministers, right? So he's saying you've become committed, you've become people who are covenanted to bring this righteousness and justice in your life and in your world. Not just for people in slavery, but to put back together all the things that need to be put back together in your relationship, in your family, in your workplace, in your school, right across the board. We are people, new people reflecting Jesus' life into the world around us. And we're doing that so families and communities and workplaces and churches increasingly become what God wants them to be. And this is why 
when we're confronted with that absolute injustice, when, that, when we're confronted with that absolute darkness, we can still be people of hope. I can be a person of hope. You can be people of hope today. Wonderful, glorious, unyielding hope because Jesus is the king and he's bringing his life and his goodness and his rightness into the world through his son ruling his people. And so when we hear that Australians are one of the highest demand countries for things like online exploitation of children, as the church, we can rise up, we can stand up, we can take a stand and we can say, no more. This has got to stop. We don't know necessarily what to do about it, but if there's one thing we're going to say, we've got to say, this has got to finish. Government, get your legislation together. Get your act together. We've got to do something about this. Increase demand for the protection of people who are vulnerable and people who are enslaved. God is calling us to act. He's calling us to respond, not just as individuals, but as the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the expression of his presence and his character in the world. And it's time for us to rise up with justice and mercy. People of Jesus, it's time to stand up. And that's why I have a privilege to invite you today uh, to become a freedom partner with IJM. There's a card on the seat next to you or you can... Hit up the QR code on the screen. What is a freedom partner? Well, freedom partners basically help us do what we've got to do. That's pure and simple. All around the world, God is working through IJM to bring freedom where people are enslaved. A few statistics that you probably may forget, but they're good statistics. Since 1997, that's when we started, we have rescued over 76,000 people out of slavery and forced labor, 76,000 people. Since 2012, um, we have rescued over 1,000 children from online exploitation in the Philippines. Over 1,000 kids, we just ticked that number over uh, about a month and a half ago. Since 1997, we have prosecuted over 4,700 criminals. We've taken them off the streets. We've broken the system of slavery in so many places. And earlier I mentioned Ruby, you know, enslaved in that terrible house behind the padlock door and the lock window and the, and the, and the bolted gate. She was locked up for months. And she tells the story now. She, she says, I, I remember I'd lost all hope of escape. I'd lost all hope of ever getting out. I felt imprisoned and I felt powerless. And one night I cried and I prayed the entire night. And I said, Lord, if you are real, get me out of here. Please get me out of here. And here's the thing. The very... Next day, IJM had pinpointed her location. And so with law enforcement, we always do it with the police. Um, we found Ruby, we rescued her and another five girls in the same position. And the people who had imprisoned them and who had enslaved them for all of that time, 
uh, were prosecuted and they're now serving 15 year sentences in the Philippines. The very next day. Now, you and I know, you've, you've all seen enough of life to know that sometimes it's not the very next day, right? And sometimes you can keep praying for things and, and the things that you're praying for don't come. And for some reason known only to God, he answers differently. Or he says, no, there's mystery to this. But in this case, it was amazing. She was rescued the next day. Now, how did that happen? Well, it happened because our investigators were doing their job and the police were doing their job and we worked and collaborated with them and we went in and we rescued. But actually, that only happened because of people like you and because of people like me. Um, Rescuing people is incredibly expensive business. Restoring justice systems takes millions of dollars. And to rescue someone like Ruby takes about 25 freedom partners. So it's good for us to consider doing that today. That's why I want to lay that request before you. We want to do it for all the rubies that are still out there, for all the people who are still crying out for justice and for mercy. But there's a sense in which, yeah, we want to do it for them, but there's a sense in which we're going to be incredibly blessed in this. Because we see, I mean, with IJM, we see God rescuing people all the time. We see God bringing change in the halls of power. We see God changing parts of, of, of government or changing people's attitude in government. And where once governments were resistant, saying, oh, we don't have a problem here, they recognise they've got a problem, they recognise we can help, and they start to do something about it. You know, back in 2010, uh, you could go to bars in uh, the main cities of the Philippines, Manila, Cebu, Pampanya, others, and all of those bars would have kids in them and all of those kids were for sale for Western tourists. It was, a, it was rife. You know, you go to Manila, Cebu, Pampanya, any of those cities now, and sure, there's a red light district, but there's no kids in it. There are no children anymore because it's been shut down. God has transformed that part of the community. So that's what I'm saying. As a, as a freedom partner, you start to see where God's at work in the world, powerfully and wonderfully. You start to have a sense of hope that, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that still needs to change and how will all that happen? I don't know, but at least I can do this. At least I can make this decision. At least I can make this happen. So as a freedom partner, you'll be encouraged to pray regularly. We send a little email out with like five or six dot points. It's pretty brief. Um, here's what our needs are. Um, here's how you can pray. Here's a few things that God's done this week. It's fantastic. And because we know that Without God, we can't do this work. We just can't do it. So the prayers of the people of God are an incredible encouragement to us. And as a freedom partner, you can give monthly. Your generosity actually works to rescue people like Ruby. And, and really, it's the most concrete thing we can do. I mean, you can't investigate. You can't become an undercover guy somewhere. I don't know, maybe some of you can. Um, but you know, you pro you, maybe you're not going to do that. But you say, I can do this. It's the most concrete thing you can do to bring freedom to people 
who are enslaved right now. So I thank you for considering that and I thank you for taking the time to, um, to join us and partner with us this morning. And I, th- I thank you most of all because it, it really is a Christ-like thing to be doing, to be stepping in and standing up for the freedom of people who are enslaved. It's a Christ-honouring expression of your desire, our desire, to heed the call of Micah, to seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Let's pray. Father, we, we honour you and we thank you and we, we are in awe of the way that you do your work through people. And we know that you're doing this because our King Jesus is on the throne. We know that you're doing this because you want his life and his goodness and his reputation and his glory to be seen in the world. We know that you're doing this because you desire your creation to thrive in a way that brings glory and honour to you. And so we thank you that you're bringing freedom to those who are oppressed and enslaved. And we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be part of your very special work today. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his death and his resurrection. Thank you for his rule and thank you, Jesus, that through your spirit, you're reigning and ruling through us today. Be glorified, be honoured, receive our praise. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.